Phoebe Loretta Farr, née Halford, was born in Ovid, New York in 1812. In 1817, the family started the trek west to Ohio. In February 1818, the family settled in what is now Carlisle Township and started to farm. This reading is from her autobiography, written around 1890, and is an account of her early years in Carlisle Township. Phoebe Farr was born in the year 1812, July the 13th, in the town of Ovid, York State. My father was drafted. The neighbors told him he was drafted, and not to stay and be notified, but to leave. So he left. No one knew his whereabouts. He left before I was born. I never saw my father till I was a year and ten months old. Then he came home. Then he moved to Homer, from there to Virgil, from there to Genoa, from there to Lionstown, from there to Phillipstown. When I was three years old, there I had uncles and aunts. They took a lot of pains to learn me to read, and our nearest neighbor taught school, and she always would stop for me and my brother Reuben, and we went to school. My aunts used to cut calico cloth and baste them for me to sew. They learnt me to knit and piece calicoes before I was five years old and knit me a pair of stockings and I pieced a bed quilt. There was a man that came to father's that had been to Ohio. He praised the country up so much it gave my father the Ohio fever. I can never forget how he praised up the country. Well, all that, there was nothing to do, but he must and would come to Ohio. All that mother could say was of no use. So he bargained with a man to take his place and let him have a span of horses, harnesses, a wagon, and take his home, providing he liked it when he wrote back. So I remember one morning early, Father took his pack on his back and started for Ohio. He had only been gone only one week when Mother got a letter from Father. It was a solemn day to Mother. He wrote to Mother, get ready as soon as possible and come on, for the further he went, the better he liked the places. I remember well how sad we felt when Mother parted with her brothers and her sisters, but one sister, she came with us. It was hard to leave our aunts and uncles and all our cousins and schoolmates and neighbors. It was a solemn day to us all. Well, it was just as winter set in. There was a man by the name of Eli who drove the team till we met father. He was intending to come out to Ohio to look and see for himself how he liked it. He put father's watch in his pocket and he told mother he would give it to father when they should meet. But when he got there where father was, he was homesick. So he went back and said nothing about the watch and he took a box of provisions. By this time it was getting cold and my brother Jeremiah was very sick. We drove on with the wagon till the snow got so deep that it was too deep to go on with the wagon. Then father stopped and made some runners and set the wheels on them, so we came on. Our wagon was covered with a linen cloth that mother wove. It was very comfortable. 
only the baby was very sick till the 1st of January, then it was a very cold and stormy day. I was sick all day, and the snow blew so that we could not see the horses. Father drove only six miles. He drove up to a tavern and asked for entertainment. The landlord said he was pretty full, but he would try to accommodate us. Well, we all got out and went in. Soon the hustler came in to see if he should take care of the team. And it was an awful, great, black Negro. My brother and I were nearly frightened to death. I thought it was the devil. We caught hold of Mother and screamed to the top of our voices. Mother told Father we could not stay there. So we all got into the wagon and went a mile further and put up for the night. It was the first Negro I ever saw, and Mother had always told us if we'd done anything wrong, the black man would carry us off. So we thought he had come after us, sure. We told her we hadn't done anything, and she tried the very best she could to make us believe that he was only a colored man. But it frightened us to see. Never could get over it. We then came on, day after day, till we came to Cleveland. It was a small village. We stayed there two days. Mother washed and done some cooking. Then we started on our journey. The road was through the woods. It came right up over the hogback. We all had to come up it on foot. Aunt Maybe, Louisa, went behind that sled and blocked the runners. Then we came on till we got to Rocky River. There we stopped. Father says, unless us go back, us go back. We have gone far enough. But Mother said, no, we have nothing to go back to, not anything to go with. And I never put my hand to the plow, then looked back. It was then Father sat down and gave vent to grief. He cried like a little child, but all he could say, Mother would never give her consent to go back. So we came on to Ridgeville Center. There we stayed all night. There was a few inhabitants. The snow began to melt. We stayed all night. The next day we came to Illyria. There was a little log hut standing down at the east end of Main Street on the bank of the river. We stopped there and mother got dinner. There was Mr. Ely and another man. They took dinner with us. Then we came up to where the county house is now. Mr. Bacon lived near there. We stopped there. The snow was gone. It was the 14th of February in 1817, John Bacon came. The 14th of the next year, 1818, we came. The snow had all gone. Mr. Bacon persuaded Father to stay, so he went to work a chopping logs to build a house to live in, or what is called the county farm. They soon got logs enough for a house. They was ready to raise the house. It was a wilderness, but there were lots of Indians lived here. It was their hunting grounds. When Father raised his house, the Indians came and their squaws. 
They all helped raise the house. They had a lot of fun. They would whoop and holler and laugh. Mother had a three-part kettle, and she made it full of pot pie out of venison. They all eat supper. It was fun for us children to hear the Indians talk in their own language. When they got done eating, the Indians would say, it is so good. Every night the wolves howled. There was no mills short of Rocky River, and it was very wet. The woods was full of water, and we had not had any bread for a month or more. So Mr. Bacon and my father took each of them a bag of corn on their back and went to Rocky River to mill. At noon, it commenced to rain. It rained all night, and the river was full up to its banks. There was no raft nor bridge to cross the west branch, so there was no other way but to swim. So they pulled off their clothes and put their clothes on their shoulders and their bag of meal on top of them. Then they swam across the river. Father got hold of some bushes and climbed out. Then Uncle John Bacon said he never could get out of the river, but Father got hold of his hand and helped him out. They put on their clothes and came home. The wolves were howling all over the woods. Us children had gone to bed, but we all got up and mother soon sifted some meal and stirred up a cake and put it to bake. When it was done, it was cut in pieces like you would cut a pie. Then us children could have a piece. I tell you, it was good as long as that meal lasted. It was baked and served round like a pie. Then Uncle John said he never would go there to mill anymore. There was a big oak stump right before his door. So he went to work and dug it out hollow like a large bowl. And then he put up a sweep with a large maul on the end. Then he could pound corn fine enough to make bread. So then we used to go there and pound corn. So we had bread. When we got the land cleared so we could raise corn, we had green corn. And when it began to be hard, we used to jaunt it off with a plane and mother would boil it in a kettle all day and then eat it with milk. We used to call it hominy. We made lots of sugar. There were lots of cranberries and grape fox and frost grapes and the big blue grapes and wild plums. About a mile and a half west of us, there was a family lived. They chopped down a lot of trees and burnt the brush. And one morning, Mrs. Beach went to get the tea kettle, and there was a big rattlesnake coiled around the kettle. A night or two after, she woke up, and she said to Mr. Beach, There is something by my back that is cold as ice. And he says, Lie still. He got the shears and cut her night clothes off. Then he took her out of bed. It was a big yellow rattlesnake. So they left the place. It grew up to briars, and we used to go there and pick lots of blackberries, and often we would kill three or four a day. One time my brother and I were picking berries, and we heard the stick snap. We looked, and there was a big black bear. We screamed. The bear ran. Then we went a little further, and there was a big rattlesnake. There was lots of rattlesnakes, wolves, bear, wildcats, 
hedgehogs, coons, possums, and deer. I have seen eight or ten deer running through the woods together. The cattle used to run in the woods. The horse flies was terrible bad for them, and mosquitoes and gnats were bad. The spring after I was seven, mother learnt me to spin toe. I wasn't tall enough to turn the wheel, so they laid down a big block, one at the head of the wheel and the other at the back, and then she laid a punch on board for me to walk on. That raised me up so I could turn the rim. Then I used to have to spin four notes of yarn a day. It would take me all day at first. Mother used to card the rows in the evening, and after I got so I would get my quota done early, then mother would add two notes more, and before the spring was gone, I could spin ten notes and get it off in good season. Then she learnt me how to card toe and make my own rows, and when I had any leisure time, I used to have to wash the dishes and sweep and tend the baby. There was an Indian baby born on the ridge. It used to be called Pumpkin Ridge then, and the little one was taken sick, and it died. The old Indian came after mother, and she went over to the tent, and father and mother brought the little one to our home, and mother dressed it for the grave. Mr. John Bacon made the coffin, and mother laid the little one in the coffin. There was a lot of Indians. Mr. Bacon and his family, and there was the Farr family, came there to see the little one, and the old Indian and the squaw. They kneeled by the coffin, and mother prayed. Then the poor Indian shook hands with all in the house, and he strapped the coffin on his back and started for Sandusky with a basket of provisions in his hand. It was a solemn day. The mother and the little boy stayed with us till the old Indian returned. It was a solemn day as I ever saw. It was the first death that had been in Carlisle. When the old Indian returned, he said he traveled on till night. Then he set the little coffin down and laid himself down, his bed closest to the coffin, and rested till morning. Then he went on. He said there was Indians there that dug the grave and buried his little baby. I can never forget how they wept when they met. When he got back, they stayed at our house all night. Then they went to their tents. It was a lonesome day. The Indians used to go right by our house. In the spring, when they went to Cleveland in droves, 30 or 40 in a drove, one right after the other, the young Indians was strapped on the pony's back. There was an old squaw who had a little baby on a board. She carried it on her back. When she got to Cleveland, she set the little one up by the door of the store and went in. There was an old sow pig took that child and ran before they could get to her. She had killed the baby and torn it to pieces. They tied it up in a blanket and carried it to Sandusky for burial. The whole tribe went. It was about the time they went for the summer to plant corn. They stayed there till fall. Then they would come back. It wasn't long before the white people began to settle into the town of Illyria. Mr. Ely and Mr. Sylvester Cooley built a small store. Mr. A. Beebe came and he built a tavern. 
There were lots of travelers, people going west. I think it was in 1821 that Mr. Mussey came. He had three sons. He had taken up the track of land now called Carlisle, and there were three places improved. It was John Bacon and Fathers and Burton Waite. They had made some improvements. Mussey wanted places for his three sons, so he gave them their choice of anywhere they liked on his reserve. So they all went into the woods again. Whilst we lived on our first place, we have had many more as stay at our house as we were away from the road. The roads was just the underbrush cut and the small trees cut so that they could go through them with a wagon or sled. Father used to pull off his corn when it was ripe and put it in a wagon and draw it into the barn. Then the Indians would come in the evening and help husk it out. And when he was clearing land, when he got the brush burnt, he used to make a bee and the Indians would come and help roll the logs into piles so he could burn it up. There never was a hard word. It was all peace till the white settlers began to settle in pretty fast. Then some of the men from Ridgeville and Elyria came and told them that they must leave or there was an army of men coming to kill all their horses and them too if they didn't go. There was an old Indian and his squaw and their boy that lost their baby that came to our house. His name was Wallace. They stayed all night. They bid us goodbye, shook hands with us, and left. They never came back anymore. We missed them, for we used to go up to their tents to see them dress their skins and make moccasins and mittens. They used to trim their moccasins with hedgehog quills, but they all left. We never saw them anymore. It didn't seem right to drive them off. I remember whilst they was here, one night it rained awful hard. The fire blazed up. It woke mother up. She went to see what it was, and mother woke father. She said, there is someone on the hearth. And father looked. He says, John, is that you? He says, ha, ha, ha. He says, it rains. The wigwam leaks. Before morning, there was a dozen or more that came in. They ate breakfast, and then they all left. They was kind. They never offered to hurt anyone. They had the best right, and it seemed hard that the white people should drive them off. We had been here four years before there was a school. Then father swapped his place for one on the Laporte Road. There was a school over the river where the white mill is. Harriet Howe taught the summer, and Elisha Cooley taught the winter school. We had to go two miles to school. It was a treat for me to go to school, for I hadn't been to school since we left our home in York State, and I was nine years old. When it got very cold, we had to stay home, so we didn't get much schooling. When I was 11, there was a school started in Carlisle. It was not far from where the schoolhouse is now, and teacher boarded at our house. His name was John Northam. Then we used to have two miles and a half. Then we used to have to cross the river on the ice. The next spring, my brother Henry and I were going home from school and was going through the woods. There were two big gray wolves that came into the path before us. We thought it was Abel Farr's dogs. 
He had kept one and a brass ring around his neck. We thought he had got another just like his. So he had taken the ring off so he could have them look alike. We was pleased. We thought that Mr. Farr was at our house. So we called them and whistled for both. We offered them some of our dinner. They would cross the path before us first one way, then back a number of times. We still thought they was dogs. When we came near the fence, they went out a little way and we got over the fence and we called them. They came up to the fence, put their feet up on the fence. They stuck their noses up and howled. It was then that we knew what they was. I tell you, if our feet ever done us any good, it was then. Mother heard them howl. It frightened her. She was sure they had caught us. She ran out to see us and saw us coming. She sat down on the ground with a thankful heart. When we came up, Mother put her arms around us, and she said, I thought I never should see you any more. And when we told her that we called them and that we offered them some of our dinner, she said if we had been afraid of them, they would surely have killed us. But Mother said, The Lord be blessed. He is wise in all his purposes. Well, the next fall, Father had to take back his old place in Carlisle. But the fall before we moved, my oldest sister and I came over to Mr. Frost to see their girl. We stayed till the sun was nearly down. Then we started for home, and it grew dark fast, for it was woods all the way. And we hurried along, and the road had only been run out, and some of the small trees cut out, and the large ones was what they called blazed. The bark was hewed off a spot on one side, so they could tell where to go and when it was left. There had been some large trees that fell across the road, and it had grown up to weeds. The path that we had ought to have taken turned off on just as we raised the hill from the valley. But in our hurry, we missed it and followed the road we used to call the Girdle Road. When I found that I had missed the path, I dares not go back to look for it. The wolves began to howl, and Sister Louisa began to cry. But I told her to stop. The wolves would hear her and come after us, and it got so dark. When I came to a big log, I set her on the log and went to the root of the tree. Then I came to where Sister was. Then I took her on my back and went on. I was nearly frightened to death, but we came out right where they was building a courthouse. There wasn't but a few families that lived in Illyria then, but I went into Mr. Porter's to see if I could get a lantern, but they didn't have any. She said I could get one at, to Dr. Butler's, so we went there, and we went in. The doctor sat there, and his wife too. The doctor laughed and said, You are out late, but it was some time before I could tell him what I wanted. But when I asked to borrow the lantern, he said that he could not spare it, for he might have to go away, and he would want to go and get his horse. He said they would nothing touch us. He said he had been through there lots of times, and nothing hurt him. His wife wanted him to go with us, but he said there won't anything touch you. We went. The wolves were howling all through the woods. It was a mile and a half, but we got home. 
and the doctor would laugh at me for being afraid always. Whilst we lived on the county farm, John Bacon and father went to the falls one hot summer day to shoot rattlesnakes. They said they laid there in piles as big as a half bushel. I don't remember how many they said they killed, but it was a big number. Mr. Ely told the far boys if they would catch a rattlesnake and not have it bite himself and bring it to him alive, he would give them a half dollar. So Abel Farr caught the snake and took it to Mr. Ely. He took the snake and laid it out straight on a big log, fastened his tail and his head so he could not stir. Then Mr. Ely got down on his knees and bit the snake from his head to the tail along the back to preserve his teeth. He said someone told him that it would keep them from decaying but I could not say whether it did or not. Well, father moved back on the old farm. It is now called Squire's Farm to live. There we had the fever and ague. It was all I could do to stand on my feet. The winter after I was 12, father's house was burnt. And when we all got out of doors, it began to snow. They carried water from the creek and tried their very best to put out the fire, but it was of no use. When it was all burnt down, then mother told father he had better take the flax out of the crib so she could put the beds in there so the children could go to bed. But old Mr. Obed Gibb said, no, you won't. You'll go to my house. You would all freeze to death. Then they looked for my clothes, but they must have dropped when they carried out the beds, and they burnt, so I had nothing to put on. We children didn't have night dresses to sleep in as they do now. I had nothing but my shirt on, so mother took a little yard blanket that she had round the baby and pinned it around my waist. Then the snow was ankle deep. I had no shoes nor stockings. I took my sister on my back and went over to Mr. Gibbs, and Miss Ransom Gibbs said mother had better let me go over to her house and stay, for there wasn't so many coming in at her house. So I went, and there I sat, for three weeks in the corner without any clothes on, and took care of mother's baby while she went up to Mr. Bacon's to weave some cloth to make me a dress. Father was cutting logs to build us a house to live in. As soon as he got it raised, the roof on, and the floor laid down, we went into it. Mother got enough cloth woven to make me a dress. The filling was spun out of black sheep's wool and wove onto white cotton warp. I tell you, I was proud of it. I never had a dress that I was so proud of before nor since. When we went in our house, mother would sit up nights till midnight to keep the fire to keep us warm. Then father would get up and keep the fire. He would chink up the cracks in between the logs while we slept. It was very cold. The next fall, father sold his house and he took notes. Then he moved on to a farm that he took to work near the Ridgeville line. 
He stayed there a year and then bought a place in Florence. I was out to work. Father stayed there till the man that bought the place died. Then father had to take his farm back and I was out to work all the time, unless our folks was sick. I never lived at father's, nor had a penna's work, only what I worked out and earned. After I was 13 years old, I worked summers to get my clothes and save money enough to pay my school bill. Then I would find a place to board where they would let me work for my board and go to school. Father had a large family without me. I used to get 75 cents a week. That was all that any girl could get a week for doing housework and had to pay 40 cents for a yard of white cotton cloth or calico. If I spun toe filling, I used to have to card and spin 30 notes for a roll so as to gain time. Then I could spin to run. Then I could gain one day in three if I spun linen. I had to spin 30 notes for a day's work. And if I spun wool rolls, I had to spin two runs of filling or 30 notes of warp and they would board me. I only got 75 cents a week and we thought we was doing well. Sometimes by working early and late, I could make 10 shillings a week, but we had to work hard and steady. I had a chance to see a great difference in folks, for I worked out for seven years. I met with a great many different dispositions to get along with, but I found that everyone had some failing or other to get along with. Well, I thought, if others have their failings, I must have some too. And it might be that it was worse for them to get along with than theirs was for me. So I would let it go and try to bear it as well as I could. Sometimes when I would go home to see Mother, I would tell Mother that no girl of my age had to work so hard as I did. But Mother always would have some good advice for me. But as years rolled on, I could see that everyone, rich or poor, had their troubles. Time passed on. When I was 17, I was to work for Mr. Ebenezer Griffith in the boarding house in Illyria. There was a camp meeting and I went. It was there that I was convinced that we were not our own keepers and learned to trust the Lord. For he knows best what is for our good. And from that day as time passed, I have found the Lord a present help in every time of need. In 1830 that winter, I went to school. And in spring, it was April the 11th in the year 1831, I was married to Lowell Farr. Then I stayed at Father's two weeks. Then we went to his uncle's. There we stayed two months. Then we hired a room off his cousin and went to keeping house. My brother made me a bedstead, and we got three kitchen chairs, a set of plates. Six was called a set, and six cups and saucers, six knives and forks, six teaspoons, and three large spoons, and three bowls, and two or three dishes to put vittles on, and a tea kettle, a dish kettle, a spider, and some pans and a stone churn. It all cost us twelve dollars. 
And there was a man who had a piece of land, and he sold it to my husband. He sold us and took Mr. Farr's notes and gave him a deed of the land. We bought us a cow. Mr. Farr had a yoke of oxen. We went right into the woods and went to work and cut logs to build a house on. And the last day of August, we had gotten our house up and the roof on and a hole cut for the door and windows and half of the underfloor laid. And we moved into it without any door or window or chimney, but we had our health. I took in washing and sewing. My husband was chopping and he cleared off and sowed three acres of wheat. I sowed and bought three hens. I raised 30 chickens and I raised a calf. The next spring, I got some geese eggs and set them under a hen. I raised then nine goslings. January 27th, Eliza C. Farr was born. The wolves used to howl almost every night. Mr. Farr used to set traps and he caught lots of them. And he killed lots of deer and raccoons and foxes, squirrels and wildcats and black bear. He chopped and cleared off four or five acres that winter for corn. It was the happiest days of our life. I had a curly chest that I took the lid and laid it on a salt barrel that served for a table. We bored holes in the logs and we laid boards on them to put our dishes on and we had a water bench the same way. I used to milk the cow and feed the hog. Well, when Mr. Farr got his log heaps burnt, then he used to scrape up the ashes into heaps. Then in the evening, I would get the baby to sleep and I would go and help him carry them to the ash house. And when he got a hundred or two bushels, then he would put them into a leech. And when we got them wet down and got the cauldron kettle full and got it to boiling, then I would take my baby and my work and go and stay there and put water on the leech and build up the fire while I got his dinner. And then I could tend to it till night while Mr. Farr was chopping down the big trees to clear the land. When we had gotten six or seven hundred pounds of black salts, he would carry it to Illyria and get three or four dollars a hundred for it. The money was saved to pay for the land. And there was a bounty on wolves, a state bounty of eight dollars and a county bounty of twelve dollars and through the winter he used to trap for wolves. He would catch some three or four in the winter and the money saved to pay for our home. The wheat he used to cradle it and bind it by hand and mow his grass with a scythe and rake it with a hand rake. In 1837, we lost one of our children. She was shocked by lightning. It was a heavy blow to us. Time passed along not without cares and hard labor, till in 1840. Then Mr. Farr had just got his haying in and harvesting done when he was taken sick with a typhoid fever, and he came very near to dying. We had three little girls, and we were three-quarters of a mile from a neighbor. It was hard for me. For five weeks I never laid down on the bed. I used to sit by the bed and hold his hand in mine. If he moved, it would wake me. Then I would give his medicine. I thought he would die, 
I tell you, it was a terrible time. My sister stayed with me nights, but she wasn't able to sit up nights, and I dare not trust anyone to sit up alone with my husband. He was so sick. One night, my sister told her husband he must sit up. He said if I would go to bed, he would, and he promised to watch him careful and not let him oversleep. He took the directions to give the medicine, and he took the watch and sat down. I got on the back side of the bed. I took my husband's hand in mine and soon was asleep. In a short time, he made a strangling noise. I sprung onto the floor, and he was gone to all appearance. But I put some brandy in his mouth and rubbed him. After a while, he caught his breath, and with care, he got well. I tell you, I didn't leave him again till the doctor said he was out of danger. And when he got so that he could walk out the door with a cane, he said the little girl might carry a chair out to a shuck of corn. He could husk a half of a bushel for to feed the hogs, and he did. But he blistered his hands so that he could not do anything for some days. And the third of October, we had another little girl. And she was always a little sickly child till she was a woman grown. Since then, her health is better. This was the autobiography of Phoebe Loretta Farr, submitted in 1890 to the Illyria Chronicle Telegram by one of her grandsons. Phoebe's husband, Lowell, died in 1862, while Phoebe herself died in January of 1901 and is buried in South Murray Ridge Cemetery in Illyria. Phoebe and Lowell had 10 children, three sons named Lowell, Ephraim, and Lauren, and seven daughters, Rosalie, Hannah, Persis, who was the sickly child mentioned at the end of the autobiography, Phoebe, Bird, and Laura, who died in childhood. This information was documented in the book Commemorative Biographical Record of the Counties of Huron and Lorraine, Ohio, published in 1894. Phoebe Farr's descendants still live in the area to this day.